0: I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty so that you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic
1: is... Shoko Asahara and the Am Shinrikyo cult. Who
0: was Shoko Asahara? Well, he was a mostly blind, portly man with long hair and a scraggly beard. He fathered 12 children and spent some time as a would-be physical therapist and probably snake oil salesman. He's also the founder of the most dangerous cult ever and is responsible for the most terrorist attacks in Japanese history. A young man with a mission. Am Shinrikyo's founder was named Shoko Asahara. He was born March 2nd, 1955. His birth name was Chuzo Matsumoto. He was born into a large family of tatami mat makers in the Kumamoto prefecture in Japan. He was one of nine children. He was born with infantile glaucoma, which rendered him blind in the left eye and partially blind in the right. After being enrolled in the School for the Blind at age six, Asahara developed a reputation for being something of a bully. Ironically, unlike most bullies, he used his extreme charisma to get people to do things for him. It's almost like his birthright hardships caused him to look inward and develop a sense of rage-fueled confidence that he would use to manipulate those around him. He would also be physically abusive to the other children and extort money from them. It's said that he treated many of these situations as a game enjoying the cat and mouse aspects of these scenarios that he ostensibly would invent.
1: This is such the like, this is such the template story for like any cult leader. This idea of from a very early age, just immediately immediately latching on to this idea of Looking around at other people and identifying them as marks to manipulate in some way and get something out of, as opposed to people to connect to, I, and it's it's that fundamental difference from, you know, whenever whenever a normal person is a kid, whenever you or I were kids, you look around at all the people around you and you feel this tremendous sense of wanting to belong and wanting to befriend them, almost almost the the Andrew W. K. esque approach of this idea of like, you know. However ingrained you are into your social sphere, whether you are, you know, sort of the focal point of it, and you know you ha- you're popular and you have a lot of people that are kind of orbiting around you, or if you're kind of on the outside of it and you you you, you want to be friends with those people, that you, people are looked at as as these fundamentally social counterparts uh, that you want to connect with in some way, whatever that way may be, whether it's friends or Wanting to, you know, being romantically interested in somebody, Um, but uh, you know the the these basically every cult leader they have the same story where they look at people as resources to exploit, and it's also I mean it's basically how sociopaths interact with the world. I watched this really interesting video. This I wish I could, wish I had like looked this up to shout this out, but this guy has a YouTube video where he sits down and talks with people with different types of mental illnesses and disabilities and kind of gets, does these long interviews with them to get things from their perspective. So as not to sort of be studying these types of things from a, from a third person perspective, you know, the, the, the usual type of, of uh, analysis of these from, from a psychologist where you're like, you know, this is the type of behavior they exhibit. It's like talking to the actual person and um, you know, getting their perspective on something. And uh he did a he did this extended interview with a with basically a diagnosed sociopath who for whatever reason is self-aware enough to have wanted to sort of control their urges and not allow themselves to give in to their sociopathic tendencies. So he kind of sat down and talked in depth about what it was like growing up and how his sort of brain worked. And it was it was super fascinating and He's he basically talked about how, you know, from an early age, from basically as far back as he could remember, he looks around at people and the the first thing that he the first thing that he that he thinks or experiences or sees whenever he looks at a person or starts talking to a person is uh, what can I get out of this person? And and immediately starts thinking of the strategies of like, how can I manipulate this person? What can I do to get a desired result out of this person? And part of it is wanting some kind of result. And part of it is just the game of it, of just liking to play that game with people. And it's really interesting to hear him talk about it because he basically that's how he views the world. But he kind of recognized at some point that he didn't want to allow that to cause pain. So he sort of spends every day of his life actively circumventing those urges and resists. He, You know, he he kind of stays away from social interaction a lot. He, you know, works with with therapists and things like that. And every day of his life is spent basically trying to resist that urge to see somebody, recognize them as a target for manipulation and immediately start looking for his ways in to get something out of them. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, textbook sociopathy. And it, it the story is shockingly similar with every single one of these cult leaders whether it's Manson Man, or yeah Char- Charles Manson or Elron Huber yeah, L. Ron, L. Ron Hubbard, Jim Jones, any of these guys. It's they have the they have the uh Robert Robert Smith, the you know the the, the lead the, singer of the Cure. Yes. Yeah. Um no, not Robert Smith, Joseph Smith. Uh the founder of the other the, lead singer yeah, of the Cure. Yeah, the, 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 the secret one. Um his yeah. his brother uh, the founder of Mormonism. There, are, yeah. which you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm rustling some fe- feathers, but I'm going to say it right now. Mormonism is a cult. The, it's they have this, they have identical stories.
0: Yeah, he graduated in 1977. From there, he failed the exams for law and medical school, so he began pursuing the study of acupuncture, a common career path for someone who was blind in Japan. He became a small-time snake oil salesman from here, selling drugs and potions in a storefront in the Chiba prefecture. He soon got married to a woman named Tomoko, and then fathered twelve children.
1: It's kind of it's kind of interesting that up until the point that he becomes a horrible murderous cult leader, he was kind of doing he was kind of doing the J.J. Arms thing. He was taking this yeah. disability and. He was like he he was he was crafting this kay- kayfabe. I feel self conscious about saying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, i But uh, he he uh, he was crafting this kayfabe around his disability to sort of put it to work for him and and yeah. and use it as a as a benefit as opposed to a. a, a yeah, I mean, well, I mean, there's two types of
0: people in the world, right? When you have some sort of disadvantage you either figure out a way to make it work for you or you just live your life to the opposite. You live your life with victimhood. I mean, and whether that figuring out how to work for you is just like actualizing yourself as a person and going out and doing things and saying that this isn't going to define me. I'm going to use it as an asset in terms of, I don't even know, like if you know someone uh, was blind and they decided to Be an interpreter or, you know, go and and do positive things with it outside of what they might be, you know, relegated to at various points in history. Um, Like, what's the alternative? I mean, most people probably don't turn it into being a fucking cult leader, but everybody uses those disadvantages or, you know, things to develop a cult of personality around themselves to facilitate them. Succeeding in, in some way. I mean, it could be, it can be as, sh- as, as simple as like, oh, maybe you're short and then you crack jokes about how short you are to seem more approachable. Or maybe you're, you know, you're, you have uh, a skin condition and I don't, I don't know. You, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody, everybody's always doing some version of that, but it's taking a normal human function and then just dialing it up to like, 107.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's there's the guy who makes self-deprecating jokes about his own physical shortcomings or whatever. Then there's the like Robert Zadar or like Michael Berryman or any of those actors who sort of like utilize disabilities to carve out a niche for themselves in the acting market. And then there's the... JJ Arms forge an entire kayfabe persona around this disability and use it to like make yourself famous and then there's like you break through the glass ceiling in the elevator and you know Willy Wonka is like you did it Charlie you did it you get the whole fucking factory and then you break through and then you start a death cult
0: yeah it's so dark the 80s in Japan sees an explosion in their economy. It arguably becomes the largest on Earth at that point. And with all the money and success flowing into their culture, people start ascending through Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs into the spiritual nourishment section, aka self-actualization. So if you don't know, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs is a way of categorizing humanity and its various struggles. It's typically depicted as a a pyramid or a triangle with uh, five five tiers. The first tier is physiological needs, i.e., water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing. You know the ability to have a functioning sex life, the ability to you know just get by, just like your base needs, right? And then the next um, the next tier on the pyramid is safety. So you know personal security, employment. Uh, having money being able to go to the doctor if you need one um, owning things like property or car that make your life easier then the next tier uh is love and belonging meaning you know you you're you don't you're not in any immediate danger there's no there's no threat of death you know lurking around every door and so then the human spirit starts to turn to other needs right you know if you're not living on the plains trying to take down a fucking woolly mammoth, maybe then you're starting to think about, you know, wanting to be really seen and wanting to be loved and appreciated by someone and have friends and be in in a social ecosystem. And then the second to last tier is esteem, meaning people want respect and they want status and they want recognition and they want freedom and they want the ability to self determine, right? Like I, I am an individual and I am seen by other people as having done X. You know, this is probably, you know, people that have a a job that they want, you know, people that have a career path that they've worked hard to attain. And then the final tip of the pyramid is self-actualization, which can take many forms. Typically it's defined as a desire to be the most that you can be but largely it manifests as religious or existential journey you know it's people trying to wrestle with the fact that we're all going to expire and die at some point and what is the point of all of this what is the meaning behind it have i lived my existence to the fullest
1: and the, the tip and of the tip of the pyramid of maslow's maslow's hierarchy of deeds is the reason why we see jim carrey being interviewed talking about the fucking veil behind the universe how you know color exists all around us and we need to reach out and touch it is because he's gone so far to the very tip of Maslow's hierarchy of needs that he's gone past self-actualization and he's gone to a little hidden tiny smaller part of it which is boredom like
0: existential (laughs) apathy yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's like it's almost like a like a Mobius strip of nihilism. Yeah. And, and a lot of celebrities and very wealthy people spend the majority of their life in that self-actualization part of the pyramid. Like you hear stories all the time of, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer was in a situation where she was being taken advantage of for, you know, giving a lot of money to this religious organization that was trying to help her work out her emotional needs or. You know, it's people who are they they have conquered or think they have conquered all of the terrestrial things that they can all of the conquests and mountains that exist have been conquested and mountained. And so what is there left? Well, my my emotional needs, my my existential, like what happens when I die questions. And so in the 80s in Japan, there's a big boom of people attempting to answer that question because there was a lot of money, which means there were a lot of people who weren't worried about esteem, love, safety, or physiological needs.
1: Yeah. And we're, um, we're going to really get into this more in depth, but that, like, this, the Om cult was like really just born into that. And once again, took complete advantage of it, whether it was like a calculated move or even just like pure dumb luck, th- th- it was totally born into that because this entire cult. As, as we'll talk about, it's it's made of a bunch of affluent Japanese professionals who, you know, they were doctors, they were scientists, they were anime and manga artists, uh, a bunch of people living these very, like, aspirational lifestyles who, you know, they were, they were wealthy, they were kind of like they had achieved the pinnacle of the second tier, which is esteem. I am working in one of the most respected fields in my culture. What's next? And then... Our boy uh, Shoko Shoko was there to be like, I'm next, baby. So in
0: 1981, Shoko Asahara was convicted of selling drugs without a license, and he was fined 200,000 yen. Around this time, his interests in religion began to bloom. He became obsessed with Chinese astrology and Taoism. A lot of people started new religions around this time in Japan. People see the need for spiritual relief. And they want to be the one to fill the hole. As he continued to go down the path of his research, Shoko Asahara became interested in yoga and meditation, Buddhism, and explicitly in Christianity. He went to India for two years around this time, faking an existential crisis, and went there to attempt to gain a greater insight into religion. Which is so funny to me, that like, you would just wake up one day, I mean, people do it all the time, you know, it's midlife crisis happens to people all the time but the idea of like all right 12 children and my life partner i gotta go to india for two years to like bone up on some of this religious shit you cool just like hanging out here while i bounce great thanks bro booking a flight to india yeah
1: and once again it's 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 like the same story like almost every origin story of a of th- uh, these cult leaders, it, it always begins with them abandoning a family and just leaving to go do something else. Like Jim Jones, L. Ron Hubbard, all these guys, it was all the same story.
0: And I also, don't you think there's also part of that narrative that part of that narrative is just life, right? Like, I'm sure these people got they got involved in a modality of living that is what society rewarded and told them that they should be pursuing they got inside of it and they're like i don't want to do this i can't take advantage of a bunch of people <laughs> and then they left but also don't you think that part of that narrative reinforces the the type of person or spiritual need that is att- that is attracted to a cult because you you go to this cult leader or this person or this organization that says the feelings that you're having are completely okay. You can abandon the way you've been doing everything. It is meaningless. And I will give you meaning because I've literally been there before. You know what I mean? So it's a a tacit permission to hard reboot your life in a way that might not necessarily have the same effect if it was just, you know, like how in Christianity you can be born again. Typically speaking, people don't. Burn their lives to the ground when they get born again. They have a traumatic thing happen to them, and then they decide to discard a way of living in order for this new virtuous path. Typically speaking, these are broad stereotypes. Obviously,
1: yeah. I mean, we we, we actually we talked about this a little bit on on the uh, the Jay Letty episode, but um, it's not even just it's not even just validation. It's not even just saying like these thoughts you're having are normal. It's a full baptism of, of fire where I talked about the idea that when you're in a cult one of the ways that they isolate you from the outside world is by removing and replacing your vocabulary. So coming up with all these different like jargon terms for different aspects of what your lifestyle is. And, you know, famously in Scientology, it's like the, you know, the Phaetons that you have to you have to cast off and people who have too many thetans are suppressive people, which are called SPs and all this. And it, there's a lot of like Navy, weird Navy terminology that's used and co- co-opted uh, because they literally like at one point they were shunned from every fucking country. And then they ended up just having to like exist on a ship out in international waters. Cause it was the only place that they could go. And so they came up with this weird Navy kayfabe, but the, this idea of stripping away your, your vocabulary, which is, The fundamental way that human beings communicate is through language and replacing it with something that is impenetrable from from an outside perspective. Like your your friends and your family can no longer understand what you're talking about and the way that they speak feels like this thing in your past. And so it creates this huge division between the two of you that that gulf widens over time and eventually you just get further and further away from them. And it just it helps to galvanize you towards feeling a part of the cult and feeling other than. The rest of the secular world and this is another form of that where it's not just saying like it's what your feelings are okay or normal it's it's more like your feelings are the truth you it's not just like it's okay to feel like this it's like you this is the real way to feel everybody else that is telling you that these feelings are not normal or everyone who's pressuring you into staying in the status quo of your life they're wrong and they are going to Scientology that their form of it is they are suppressive people. they are they are holding you back from from the real world, you know the the fucking the world that you wake up in whenever you take the the red pill uh, and and wake up and leave the matrix. and that's the real world. like that's that's what this is. And all those thoughts you're having is because you you've somehow in the back of your mind, primordially, You realize that you are not meant for this and that you and you kind of you you were in tune with reality in some way that helped you subconsciously be guided to me because this is the real way to live and that other stuff is a facade so it's not even you know because because you know that exists sort of in the in the therapy world the idea of like your thoughts are normal. There's nothing wrong with them. Let's talk about them and process them. That can be a very positive experience and, and, a, and a positive way of working through emotions. But this is more of a...
0: The, the major difference that I would just point out there is that therapy is all about inward. It's about introspection. It's about examining the self, mm-hmm. cataloging it, and then attempting to find the aspects of the self that might not be as positive and then taking them and attempting to find a way to slough them off or, or remove them, right? Whereas cults are all exterior. They're all about you fitting into a larger ecosystem, you being fuel for something else. Uh, and it's it's all about the context of the self within a larger whole as opposed to the self examining and then decompartmentalizing and then coming back together constructed in a, in a more considered manner. In 1984, he formed Aum Shinzen no Kai, a religious order combining many aspects of the aforementioned life paths. Where there's a will, there's a way to take people's money in exchange for spiritual enlightenment. He then changed his name and in 1987, rebooted the cult as Aum Shinrikyo. He went about it in a legal fashion this time. He applied to be recognized as a fully legal religious organization and after first being rejected, won an appeal, and was named a fully religious corporation in 1989. From here, things start to spiral upwards. He attracts many casual followers, which slowly grow into more ardent supporters. He's featured on magazine covers, and he even writes several books, two of which include Beyond Life and Death and Supreme Invitation. Also, Supreme Invitation is a dope-ass title, and, uh... That's all I have to say about it. So it's a cool book. I want, I want to know what the Supreme invitation is. That sounds fucking rad. Yeah. It's
1: all, it's, it's also interesting because, uh, Amshin was kind of going on at the same time as heaven's gate in the late eighties and into the early nineties and beyond. And it's, it's, it's interesting because they were sort of happening in different areas of the world. So they kind of didn't intermingle. Uh, uh but you know, Heaven's Gate was it, Heaven's Gate is called like the first Internet cult because they had a website. That's like the whole thing about it is like they had a website. And so they're the first Internet cult or whatever. And it's it's interesting that that was sort of what they were known as. And Amigen Rikyo is kind of has been called like the anime cult because, as we'll talk about later, they have the anime commercials and shit. And both of them are kind of weirdly not actually what they're about. Like they've they've been weirdly labeled as that, even though like with Heaven's Gate, it's just they just had a website. It was nothing to do with their actual organization. And Amshin Rikyo, like, those were just recruitment videos. Like it, they weren't like they didn't like fucking worship anime or whatever. It's interesting the parallels there, but it's it's funny that they were so similar and they were kind of happening at the same time. But whereas the Heaven's Gate cult was like, let's all kill each other or kill ourselves so that we can go fly on this comet to this planet or whatever. This cult was just like, let's murder.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're wondering what the doctrines of Amshin were, well, they were a mixture of Vajrayana texts, the Bible, and other religious texts. Asahara declared himself to be Christ. He claimed that he was absorbing the sins of his followers and distributing spiritual power to them. Many people from all walks of life joined his cult. As such, many of them were professionals within the anime industry in Japan. They went on to produce an anime recruitment video. We're seeing uh, anime images of old Dirty Shaka Asahara floating in midair, legions of people that are his followers, uh, a laser flower over his third eye. Yeah,
1: I wonder, you know, considering that he was like blind in one eye and uh, and almost blind in the other one, I wonder if his third eye was blind oh shit if he if it was if he was third eye blind I mean I'm just gonna say it this song fucking rules yeah I know there are are cultists and
0: terrorists and horribly xenophobic and anti-semitic but
1: I kind of love this song it's so eerie yeah it's great And you know that, that like, you you had, like, a shortcut of this, but, like, this thing is, like, fucking ten minutes. And it's, like, it's so, I mean, a lot of it is just, like, floating through voids and shit and, like, flying over the city. It's, It's so strange.
0: Shoko Asahara was a deeply conspiratorial person. He spread bigoted lies about the Jews and the Freemasons, the Dutch, and the British royal family, and that they were all plotting against him and Aum Shinrikyo. Asahara believed in a doomsday prophecy, which included a third world war, which would climax in the Armageddon from the Book of Revelation. Like Scientology, members were made to pay in order to reach higher spiritual planes. However, the aspect of Aum Shinrikyo that really sets it apart is that Asahara was consumed with the idea of self-flagellization, of pain and sacrifice being true totems of dedication and the only concrete path Towards spiritual enlightenment, some of the means by which Asahara tortured his followers were making them drink his blood, locking themselves in isolation rooms for days on end, being force-fed LSD, and submerging their bodies into boiling water. His followers feared him, believing that he had psychic powers and could read their thoughts.
1: That's just pure grooming, right there. The, yep. This, this is grooming for. The slow normalization of increasingly more violent circumstances that it eventually leads to, like, if if we just fucking murder a dude in front of you, you're not going to think it's very weird. Because you've already been exposed to this gradually increasing level of violent brutalization.
0: He often spoke of human relief, meaning the world needed an Armageddon to purge humanity from the surface of the globe. However, Asahara was very smart in that after he had a solid foundation of followers, he would only recruit upper middle class and the powerful elite of Japan, thus lining his pockets and making it seem like his cult was a highly exclusive affair. From there, they started building the mechanisms of war. Aam amassed over a billion dollars in assets and cash. They stockpiled weapons, including chemical weapons, guns, missile launchers deadly viruses, and even helicopters. Aum Rikyo opened up branches in Germany, Russia, and even America. As the 80s drew to a close, Aum Rikyo boasted a base of followers of over 10,000 strong. He publicly spoke of love and peace and spiritual enlightenment, but behind closed doors, whispered of war and dark forces at every turn. To put it lightly, they were the single most dangerous cult that has ever existed. They had legitimate and hardline plans to overthrow the Japanese government and the ambition to take over the world. And to make things even more harrowing, they almost did. Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts pod because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please
1: join our Facebook group. That's Deep Cuts Podcast on Facebook and the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Also follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod.
0: Act two. How much do you want for that tub of sarin gas, bro? One thing that we kind of... Uh, skipped over in that section where they're like leading up to building up the cult is that he did a lot of TV appearances. Like he did a lot of late night shows and a lot of like talk shows in general. And it's really weird to see that he was a public figure. I guess it's kind of like the situation with, um, what's her name? Allison Mack, the the woman who's on Smallville where Mm -hmm. like, you were a public figure and then you transitioned into this other thing. And it's just so strange, like trying to reconcile those things because in order to try and take over the world in, in his case or run a sex cult in her case, like mentally you think of that person with an, an incredible amount of ambition and it it doesn't emotionally feel right when you know that they've tried to do other things other than just this one insane feat, like it's really it's just it kind of throws you for a loop and makes it even weirder than just a guy who starts a cult like a guy who starts a cult that was a folk musician charlie manson even though he wasn't a very successful one it still is just kind of like wow weird
1: well the, i mean yeah the, the narrative of of a, of a cult leader it eventually it's sort of twisted and taken into this very dark direction and you you know you obviously get situations where you know, Charles Manson ends up orchestrating this these horrible, brutal killings of these people because they just happen to live in the same house that a record producer that scorned him at some point lived in. But, you know, up until that point, it, it they are kind of these these stories of of tremendous ambition and somebody, you know, in in the most grand sense of the concept, just saying, like, I am not happy with my place in life. I am going to chaos magic myself into becoming a god which is like the ultimate version of that narrative the ultimate version of the of the like rise out of out of nothing and will success into existence these stories of JJ Arms or you know who what any of these other stories we've talked about the shags what, whatever have you this is like the ultimate version of it of like I am going to become a god I'm going to become a messiah to a huge group of people. I mean, that's
0: what, that's how, what Hitler did too. Yeah, Like he had, you know, he was a part of a generation that was involved in one of the largest or the largest military conflict up to that point. And then the way it transpired afterwards is the Marshall Doctrine fucked Germany and every basically the global culture was just like, fuck you, Germany, you guys suck. And it's the it's same thing that we're talking about where the reason that, you know, Hitler's Germany and Nazism and, and anti-Semitism took such a hold is because it was us versus them mentality. It was like, no, we are great. You don't understand. We I know we lost that war, but we are awesome and we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And the, the thing that was wrong last time or these people, the Jews, they were the reason that things didn't go our way, but we are actually not, you know, reprobates in any sense of this. We are actually ordained by God. We're the master race. And like, it's that same, no, the world doesn't understand. We actually are the biggest and the best and the greatest. And we know how it's all going to function. And we know the secret code to reality. Like that's, all these cults and large scale,
1: yeah, and, and willing you know, that into existence because you know, as it's sort of been capitulated to death, Hitler was just kind of an idiot. Like he wasn't, he wasn't some great strategic political mastermind. He just kind of he, he chaos magicked himself into. Yeah, he that. was a he was an
0: abstract painter. Yeah, he was like a shitty abstract painter who fought in the war, almost died because he got exposed to gas, and then part of his rehabilitation is that he went through both a hypnosis and b intensive psychotherapy to convince him that he was strong enough to make it through it because they weren't convinced that he could make it through it like all of these people who were gassed during a war um and that sense of artificially inflated confidence as a reaction to almost dying then worked as a perfect synecdoche for german culture writ large where I am a, I am the physical manifestation of what has happened to my culture. I was taken advantage of. I was mocked. I was, you know, taking all of the political things out of it, like the reason why they were in the war with the assassination of the Arch- Archduke Ferdinand and all that stuff. Like, that's those are details. That doesn't matter. What matters is I was publicly disgraced because nobody came into Germany and helped us rebuild our country after the war ended. So we were basically just like, Fighting each other for loaves of bread in the streets like animals. And we don't deserve that. We we collectively are gonna band together and rise from the collective ashes like a fiery phoenix, and we're gonna wreak our wrath on the world, and we are going to be the dominant superpower, which is exactly what they did. And they almost like won. Like if they if he had just not gone into Russia in the in the winter, like if they had just not done that. They probably would have run, won the war, and things would be very, very different.
1: Yeah, and tons of, tons of, tons of political and war uh, scenarios uh, turned on tiny, insignificant details like that uh, to the to an almost terrifying degree. But um, the yeah, whether whether it's that or these cult leaders, it, it, it's an, it's it's fascinating how you know we talk about these these types of stories a lot and. Like I said, this is kind of the ultimate version of that, and you know, up and up to a degree, you know, it it it's it's incredibly, up until a certain point, it's incredibly um, admirable, or maybe not ad, maybe admirable is not the 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 term for it, but it's it's, uh, it's what just, you're trying
0: to say is game recognized game, yeah, you're trying to say, and it,
1: but and it, it's like and it's like the idea of of you know, I'm going to turn myself from. Uh, nothing, just a poor loser to a fucking God and and be validated in that and have people actually agree. Yes, you are a God. I believe you. I will go to a great lengths of killing myself or killing somebody else or putting myself through great physical torture in pursuit of the belief that you are a God. Up until a certain point, it's insanely kind of inspirational, but it seems like Th- that type of person can never help but become uh, twisted towards something incredibly dark. Where where is that story where it doesn't end with turning it into a death cult? But it but it seems to always happen that way. Like even you know Jim Jones and Jonestown. That cult started out as. Their their mission statement from the beginning was they were trying to end racism. Like that's what they that's what they started out. Like that was their whole thing was was ending racism and it somehow over time developed into this weird sex death cult. And it's like that that type of person that has that chaotic energy to manifest that world around them can never help but be come corrupted by that power at some point. It can never be fully uh, utilized for, for um, you know, good or even chaotic neutral. Like it just a, you know, a thing that just kind of happened and wasn't that big of a deal. And some guy just, people think he's a god and they kind of just hung out over there and didn't bother anybody. Uh, it It always turns to this really dark direction. And, you know, there's something really fascinating about that of like, you know, maybe that type of person just can never rise out of that darkness you have if you're going to be that type of person that that kind of go. it's mutually exclusive or it's not mutually exclusive
0: yeah it's almost like there is there just is a percentage of the population that is doomed to have this dark path or like negative mental trajectory where it just it doesn't even matter what they start in the ambition within the human itself just will lead them down this bizarre fucked up path and that can manifest in a bunch of different ways
1: yeah because i mean i'd kind of like to get ten thousand people to think i was a god but i i wouldn't i wouldn't utilize that for launching terrorist attacks on a country like i i, I, I at least i don't think so or maybe maybe the fact that i, I have would though i think
0: you would because you would you would start out with that nascent just like, really yeah, would be cool if I was a god. And then they're like, well, what do you, what's, you know what I mean? It's it's the same thing of the the narrative meta creep that we've talked about, where it's kind of like things just slowly progress in this direction mm-hmm, yeah. where, you know, you, you, you make one lie, which leads to another, which leads to another. And then you just are in this house of cards where you're just like completely trapped. And like, you have to say the world is ending in two weeks. Because that's what all of these ten thousand people want to hear.
1: Yeah. Another another thing that's that's interesting about this, just in terms of like him him being a public figure and the 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 way that Amchurikio was was um sort of organized towards the beginning and and maybe even like later on. I I guess it kind of even has to do with the reason why it still exists today. And there's people who still are in this organization despite what happened. Is that he kind of operated it with this sort of cone shaped circle of influence where as 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 we just talked about there was a lot of like affluent members of society in in this group there was a lot of like japanese scientists and doctors and ma- manga and anime artists and 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 these people that was like the the public facing look of omura rikyo is like look at all these you know we have all these different industry professionals and you know we're a very we're a very kind of like big organization that, that has all these different diverse types of people from all these different industries. And that was sort of like the outer outer ring of what the organization is. And then on the inner ring was where kind of some of the base original members that had joined early on that weren't these affluent doctors and things like that. They were just sort of the people that he had sort of gathered and, and amassed in the early stages of the cult. And they were in the inner circle and they were the ones that were stockpiling weapons and stealing viruses from fucking labs and planning these, like uh, these attacks and, and all these things uh and, 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 you know, carrying out these, ex- this extortion and these kidnappings and th- things like that. And the, the, the people on the outside, the, the, the manga artists and the, the doctors—they never really knew about that stuff. Like they didn't know it was happening. They kept them separated from it because those people, uh, until later on, as they kind of slowly indoctrinated them, like they would have—they would have quit if they found out about that. Like they weren't psychopaths. If they had found out that this organization they were part of was like planning terrorist attacks and things like that, they would have fucking quit immediately. Um, yeah, it's,
0: a, it's like a—it's like a—a a sandwich of intolerance and insanity. Where the loaves of bread are like normal ass people.
1: Yeah, and th- so they they kept them insulated from those things, and they, th- that that remained the public facing look of the of the cult. And when he did those public appearances and the way that he would talk about it, that was sort of the outer shell. It's like we're just this religious organization that's built around all of these ideals and we have a bunch of like look at all these like rich people these happy attractive rich people that are in this thing and they you know and gave it that sort of glossy veneer but inside of that shell it was a bunch of just like lost individuals collecting submachine guns
0: as am shinrikyo grew in size and cultural import the measures that asahara employed his followers to take got more drastic Extortion, kidnapping, and murder bubbled up through the thin mask of civility he projected publicly. The cult took these massive amounts of money gained by less than reputable ways and laundered them through yoga centers and Yakuza-backed businesses. Because if you weren't sure that he was the bad guy, he got in bed with the Yakuza.
1: It's it's so, it's so crazy. It's so fascinating how these mafia organizations just have their hands in everything. It's like... Any 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 story of illicit crime or something like this going on in Japan inevitably has the yakuza cameo, and you know coming over to the the U.S. You know the the fact that like the comic book industry was founded by fucking mobsters it, like that's insane. It, it's like it's crazy how they at one point. I mean the the mafia has been all the yakuza is still very much a fixture of japanese culture but the, the 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 mob in the united states has been all but eradicated like it kind of doesn't exist anymore but there was a time when they just they they had tentacles in every facet of of society it's it's so crazy
0: yeah and in, in like the in like the early days of hollywood they figured out that they could make money by doing faulty wire transfers for movie productions so basically, they would have a movie producer in L.A. and a production company in New York. And they would basically have productions hire either the producer or the production company for a job. And then whichever end of that arm was like, oh, yeah, I'll get you the budget. It'll be X, Y or Z amount of money and it'll be wired from New York tomorrow tomorrow. What they would do is they would have the wire transfer initiate and then take all of the money out of the account because you basically you could, you could like game the system in the early days before this was like set up where you just had to prove that there was money in the account to send the money. Then you send the money and then you can pull it out and it, they, it, it's basically like writing a faulty check. So the mob would basically like double dip. And so they would be like, oh, just, just front us x number of monies you know x amount of money for this production and they would be able to like basically bounce checks but make money off of it it's nuts um obviously that that ended pretty quick but in the early days of hollywood that was just one of the ways that they made money off of that in fact i feel like i've even said this on the podcast before but uh the reason why jack kirby's new gods got canceled early is because during the 1970s the mob had a comic book return racket going where the way that you returned comics, because at that point the direct market didn't exist. So newsstand comics are sold on newsstands and they were all returnable. So you buy them from the publisher. And then if they don't sell, you rip the covers off and you mail them back to the publisher and the publisher, publisher refunds your money. So what they were doing is they would buy in bulk, a shitload of comics and then rip off all of the covers and then sell the coverless comics and then ship the covers back to DC and get reimbursed. So they were basically just making just printing money because it was like invest, you know, whatever, $2,000, make $4,000, invest $2,000, make $4,000 every month, every month. But the issue being that, because jack was so popular they ordered uh, exponentially more new gods than the other books and so because of that his books got cancelled because the sales numbers were artificially inflated by all of these returns like the, they would be whatever twenty thousand books higher than they normally would have been and then they would be returned and so it'd be back down they're like nobody likes New gods, we're getting all these returns for new gods because the fucking mob was <laughs> returning all of them.
1: But they were still selling them. They just Yes, yeah. they were still selling them.
0: They just made they just got them for free. That's yeah.
1: so shitty. Yeah.
0: It's fucking nuts. Also,
1: it's kind of the equivalent of that whole joke from uh Arrested Development of like how they uh maybe like comes up with this weird Circular logic where if like you throw away a banana and then like sell a banana, you make twice the amount of money. Well, I forget what the thing was. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then they end up finding out that the, that was not right at all. And they were just totally fucking themselves over. Like eventually, if you just keep returning all the books and getting refunded, like that that can only go one way. Either you get found out or like you're going to literally bankrupt the company that you are dealing with and then there's some there's gonna be some end to this scam at some point
0: (laughs) yeah no shit right on june 27th 1994 a woman in a japanese suburb started complaining of vision issues the konos were normal people living normal lives they had a home in the vaguely affluent kaiichi heights neighborhood rapidly police reports started flooding in As people all throughout Kaichi Heights suffered extreme symptoms from an unknown assailant, Hamsin Rikyo had modified a featureless white van to emit sarin gas. Countless people in the neighborhood, the now-dubbed Matsumoto incident, were injured. Close to 500 purportedly. Eight of them died from this seemingly random act of terrorism.
1: Whereas a lot of people, I think, are kind of deeply, existentially terrified of the idea of nuclear war, and there's, you know, That primordial fear has manifested itself in so many ways in pop culture. If somebody drops a nuclear bomb, I'll be fucking eviscerated without even realizing what happened. I mean, obviously, I don't want to die. But what deeply terrifies me way more than the idea of like a nuclear attack is a biological attack. This, this invisible menace that you could just be sitting there and suddenly you're fucking foaming at the mouth, bleeding out of your eyeballs. You have no idea what's going on. Like, that's so terrifying to me.
0: Yeah, it's not not, not that high on my to-do list either. In 1989, when a cult member attempted to leave Aum Shinrikyo, Asahara had him strangled to death, which sparked the families of many cult members to band together and attempt to legally do something. A young lawyer named Taguchi took on the case— he, his wife, and their infant child mysteriously went missing. It was later discovered that they had been murdered by Omshin occultists and then buried in unmarked graves in a nearby forest.
1: And once again, the all of the doctors and anime people, the sort of like happy, attractive young rich people members, they they did not know about this happening. None of this stuff they were aware of. It was all kept away from them. And they would hear rumors about it. But they would just be like, no, that's 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 not happening. And like I said before, that might be a a little bit of the reason why the organization still exists to this day, that there, you know, there might have been some of those members kind of left over that continued on and maybe got their family involved over the years that kind of like think back on those things as like either urban legends or like. Oh, those were like fringe people that they they went crazy and rogue and they did those things. But that's not what the real organization was about. That was just crazy people that went off and did some insane thing.
0: When police officers attempted to investigate this crime, corrupt members of the police force who were allied with Asahara destroyed all the evidence.
1: How did he get police officers in his pocket? Like what is
0: not just it's not just that it's like later on, it's like politicians and shit too, dude. Like this shit was everywhere.
1: What did, he, what did he do?
0: Everybody has that existential torment of what happens when we die or, you know, am I living the, the my, you know, am I, am I operating in the tip of the, uh, of, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Everybody has that to some degree. You do, I do, everybody has that. And we all just choose to deal with it in different ways. And, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that a police officer who's someone who's dedicated their life to enforcing the rules of society probably have some sort of power dynamic issues somewhere within their character. They either like enforcing the rules or they like being involved in society in an authoritative position. Like it, it you don't just become a police officer just to pay the rent. There are there are way easier ways to pay the rent. yeah. in February 1990, 24 members of Amshin Riccio ran for various governmental positions ranging in power and authority. This was all part of his plan to put in place the means by which to install himself as the new emperor of Japan. Only catch being, it didn't work. None of the cultists were elected. They pulled a measly 1,700 votes in total, which is weird because there were 10,000 members of the Aum Shinrikyo cult alone. Asahara became a cultural punchline. Not liking this, he altered his prophecies. He started telling everyone that the world would end in 1995 following a chemical weapon attack. Aum Shinrikyo started stockpiling Ebola, anthrax, and other diseases and chemical weapons. They got in deeper with the Yakuza, becoming drug dealers to fund the purchase of more weapons and more chemicals.
1: Whenever you predict a chemical weapon apocalypse, and then you just literally try to stockpile chemical weapons to start the apocalypse... You know, that, that's, that's, that's kind of a little bit like uh, That's So Raven. Every Every episode, she has the vision of some problem is going to arise. She spends the episode trying to avoid the problem. And in doing that, she ends up, what she does ends up causing the problem. And the... After you watch like 10 episodes of that show you're like, "Oh, you just just stop doing anything when you have a vision, just don't act on it and you'll be fine."
0: You remember much more of That's So Raven than I do. <laughs> I I my memory of That's So Raven is I think she's psychic and there was a brother character that was like a wacky like uh, ah!
1: So you don't remember the chemical attack episode.
0: <laughs> I don't remember a very special episode of That's So Raven. <laughs> This time, Raven goes head-to-head with Ebola. (laughs) They had two failed terrorist attacks. They attempted to spray botulism from a van, only it didn't harm anyone because it was a non-deadly strain of botulism. They then attempted to spray anthrax from a building, but it was also not successful.
1: There's, I mean, number one, the, the increasingly zany hijinks of, like, Them just prat following and going, "Ooh, it didn't work! Oh, the the detonators didn't work! Like it's just like it's it's like ridiculous and hilarious in a dark way." Uh, Yeah, and and also and also thank God if if it (laughs) didn't. It'd be way
0: funnier if people didn't die. (laughs) Yeah. At this point, everyone is stone cold convinced that the world is ending in months. They set up a factory to make AK-47s. They steal plans to build tanks from a military contractor. They smuggled an attack helicopter into Japan from Russia.
1: There's this stereotype of the Japanese like do things way bigger and more intricate than any other culture. Like they take one thing and they like they they take some other aspect of somebody else's culture and they do like the fucking cranked to 11 version of it and it's like they are going all out on a cult like this is all fucking out it's going back to that comparison of heaven's gate to this of like all that heaven's gate did was go like shave your heads and kill yourself like and they're like we're gonna fucking gas the World, motherfuckers! We're gonna build a tank. We're gonna fucking fly a plane into the fucking side of a mountain and murder everybody. Like they're 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 going all the way with it. They're flying yeah. into the danger zone.
0: Highway to the cultist zone. Yes, on the Rikyo zone. Yep. Talking like about the highway to the Amishinricchio.
1: Get get Kenny Loggins on the phone. Dude, that's what I'm saying. He also uh, around around this time, there's a local political
0: figure that starts speaking out against them as a cult and like basically calling out like this shit is dangerous. These motherfuckers are gonna like try and do something next level. And um, Shoko Asahara took the reasonable response of gassing him with VX, and he killed him with VX.
1: Jesus. Uh,
0: and then and then. As things are ramping up and, and getting more and more intense, there start to be factions inside of Omshin that are like, I don't know if we should do this. And Shoko Asahara was like, hey, those nine guys over there, they all need to be dead because they're plotting against me. And so he just murdered nine people.
1: Yeah, and they just- started, they basically started, uh, they would kill people and they would like fucking dissolve their bodies in barrels like they would just put they would cut their bodies up put them in barrels fill it with hydrochloric acid or whatever whatever that acid is that people use to dissolve bodies hydro and they were just,
0: body acid
1: yeah and they just they kept these barrels in their compound of just like a barrel with a fucking disintegrated human body so that so that they would never have to take the body out of the compound so you know the person would never leave people would kind of be like, where did they go? They would be like, ah, they left. But then to the outside world, you know, they had no idea. And, you know, the family members would try to call and they'd be like, oh, they don't want to talk to you. They've, they've, you know, they, they want nothing to do with you anymore. And so for a long time, people just didn't know these people were dead because the cult members thought they'd left and their family thought that they had just shunned them or whatever. In
0: 1993, they bought a ranch in Australia that housed a uranium mine by 1994 they were actively extracting it and working on making dirty bombs.
1: Danger zone. Dude. Full danger. Full logins.
0: They went full logins all up in that cult. On March 20th, 1995, five members of Aum Rikio attacked a Tokyo subway with sarin gas, thus bringing about the prophecy that Asahara had foretold. They would end the world. And they did this by basically... The the you know the five main subway stops in Tokyo, they all went down there with um, backpacks and umbrellas, and in the backpacks they had airtight bags with sarin gas in it, and they would sit down on the subway or stand on the subway, um, and then as they would ride it for whatever a stop or two stops, open their backpack, take out the bag of sarin gas, which if you're not paying attention just looks like a empty plastic bag with air in it, and then. Right before they got to the next stop, they would take the tip of the umbrella and puncture this the see-through bag with the sarin gas in it and then step off of the subway. Doors close, and now everybody inside of the the train car is trapped with sarin gas.
1: I used to think about this shit all the time when I was riding the subway in LA. I thought about this all the time.
0: It's terrifying. And unfortunately, the... Japanese government fucked up and they did the exact worst thing you could do in this situation. When they realized what was happening and that there was an attack happening on all the trains, they shut down all the trains, which kept the doors closed and caused people to be trapped in there with the gas, making everything worse. Ultimately, thousands of people were injured during these five attacks. Twelve people ended up dying. The subways were frozen in between stops until local officials could figure out what was happening. Only issue is that that was the exact worst thing they could have done. They sensibly locked people inside subway cars with the gas. People were going blind, vomiting blood. This was ultimately the bloodiest day in Tokyo since the fire bombings of 1945.
1: Stuff like this rarely ever happens. like Stuff like this just doesn't happen in Japan. They don't have these massive scale terror attacks or they don't have shootings like this stuff just doesn't fucking happen there so this is like even crazier
0: yeah when i was in japan a couple years ago it was so surreal like i would take the subway every morning and there were little kids like four five six seven years old walking to school and they would they would walk to the subway station get on the subway car by themselves just a little five-year-old kid just standing on the subway car next to me. Then they would get off at their stop, go to their school. And I was like, what the fuck is this? What the fuck is this kid's parents? He's five years old.
1: You know, if we were in, if you were in America, I would have just stabbed that kid to death. But you know, (laughs) when in Rome, I guess.
0: (laughs) Would have exercised my inner Tony Wong. Just fucking, Hey little kid, here's a knife. Stab me in the chest, will you? (laughs) But like over there, they literally don't have kidnappings like I think there's been one kidnapping in the last like 30 years like it's just not a thing that happens and it's it's so just otherworldly coming from America where you know you're raised thinking everyone's out to get you because a lot of the times people are fucking creepers and out to get you
1: yeah I mean definitely I wouldn't be letting my five-year-old I mean he's I don't have a five year- old yet but he will one day be a five-year-old and I'd definitely not let him ride the subway by himself.
0: Yeah. All of this would have been much worse if not for Hiroshi Morita, the man who had been living in the nerve-gassed suburb, who had become obsessed with the fact that this had happened to him and had become an expert in sarin gas.
1: Thank he God put... for people like this.
0: Yeah, for real. Hiroshi Morita figures out what's happening from like local news broadcasts, within a couple of minutes realizes that it's sarin gas because of the symptoms that people are reporting, and then calls and faxes every hospital in Tokyo. If it wasn't for this one guy, the body count would have been exponentially higher than 12. You know, people say that he saved hundreds and hundreds of lives.
1: And once again, a lot of things are thwarted like this in these, like, coincidental or, like, skin-of-your-teeth situations. Like, so many terrorist attacks and assassination attempts have been stopped by like a coincidence or somebody just noticing something. It's crazy how many of these things have not happened because of some fucking thin spur of the moment thing. I mean not it's not spur of the moment. This guy was deeply obsessed with this because it happened to him, but that's almost even crazier. It's like that it's like the signs thing of like this thing happened to him and there was like a reason for it and he went on yeah. to like fulfill a destiny.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really twisted. That day, dozens of cult members were arrested. Later, the police raided the headquarters of Amshin Weapons were found. Chemical weapons were seized. And over 200 cultists were arrested. An Amshin cultist assassinated the head of the National Police Agency during this time. Basically, like, the police is just like, okay, fuck this. We're gonna get all these guys, round them up, go to the headquarters, pull all their weapons, fuck this noise. And the head of the National Police Agency guy is like walking out of a building one morning and a dude just walks up to him and, and murders him. So nuts. More um cultists release phosphine gas at the Yokohama Station, injuring close to 400 people. Basically from here, they, they continue to ramp up the potential attempted bombings and they, they put a, a cyanide bomb under Shinjuku Station. And it would have killed like 20,000 people. But as Andrew mentioned earlier, but just the detonator didn't work. The the detonator didn't go off correctly. That's the only thing that saved
1: 20,000 people's lives. 20,000 people almost died, except that they were like Rocky and Bullwinkle villains. (laughs) Yeah. Like, how does that fucking happen?
0: I really don't know. I really don't know. Shilko Asahara was apprehended finally when the police raided the headquarters and found him literally hiding inside of a wall. He he had like a secret compartment inside of a wall that he was like inside of all like Saddam Hussein style just like I'm not here. Don't look in this wall.
1: I'm fascinated with seeing the moment that a person is caught doing something and just like looking at their facial expression and looking at their body language i've seen a lot of videos there was a video i saw recently where some woman was like she had collected items she was in a walmart and she had collected items and she was like trying to make a some kind of bomb like in the walmart she was just in a corner like mixing together these ingredients to try to make a little improvised explosive device and some the, a security guard like walks up on her and it's just like we know what you're doing and kind of confronts her about it i wonder i wonder what he looked like whenever they opened up that wall
0: i've seen a photo of it the photo i've seen he just looks like a dude who hasn't fucking showered in a long time
1: there's a really crazy photo of um whenever they whenever they captured well when they had the showdown with bonnie and clyde and fucking turned them into spaghetti they had two other people with him i mean because they, they traveled around with like a roving gang of people and they would collect people and some people would join them and leave and think just different bandits and criminals and stuff. And so, but their core gang was um, they traveled with uh, Clyde's brother and then his wife and leading up to the final showdown, they had, the police had found them at this hotel and they fucking, you know, got in their car and started to drive away And as they were driving away, the brother literally got shot in the head and it like went through the back of his head and blew out a hole in the front of his head where you could see his brain. But he just didn't die and he lived for like two more days. And but the but the wife, she was like looking out the back window as they were driving away. And this is back in the 20s. So there's no safety glass. The police shot out the windows. The glass shattered and shards of glass shot into her eyes. So she was like pretty much blinded. And on the day that they arrested them, they 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 the brother eventually died. And, um you know, the they they killed Bonnie and Clyde, but they they caught and arrested her. And there's this infamous photo where she's basically blind. And the photographer lifted up his camera to take a picture of her as she was being handcuffed but because she was blinded and could just only see shapes she thought somebody was raising a gun to shoot her so there's this really iconic photo of her where she's like looking into the camera and screaming in just like existential terror because she thinks she's about to be shot
0: man that is so dark yeah in an in an episode where we've talked about people getting fucking sarin gassed that might be the darkest thing
1: it's. I mean, that whole thing was so dark. That that story is so much darker than the fucking Warren Beatty, uh, Faye Dunaway idea of it.
0: Well, this would be the end of the Aum Shinrikyo reign of terror, right? Unfortunately, not. In the wake of Shoko Asahara's arrest, Amshin Shinrikyo's leadership immediately transferred to his daughter. She ruled with an iron fist. Her first major act of terrorism is that she sent a letter bomb to the governor of Tokyo, which almost killed him. Four cyanide bombs were arranged to be laced all over Tokyo with an estimated death toll of close to 100,000 people.
1: This was like a time of absolute anarchy. Like this is fucking crazy that all this shit happened.
0: It really is. There's no way to. It's just this is nuts. Can you imagine if if this was in America where there's just like a crazy death cult led by a little kid layering fucking cyanide bombs all over a major metropolitan city?
1: Yeah, it's just it's like it's like Brazil.
0: Yeah, it where really just is. Like all
1: these like fucking terrorist attacks are just happening, and it's like it's just part of the background radiation of everyday life, and they're just <laughs> like, huh. Fucking bomb explodes in a restaurant and they just like put up like wall dividers and everyone just keeps eating. Hey Andrew.
0: You wanna do do you wanna guess why the cyanide bombs didn't kill a hundred thousand people?
1: Uh we are going to get moose and squirrel. Yes, yeah I can't do Natasha. Yes, bo yes boy. Like I yeah, I I don't I don't have it. <laughs> hey Andrew, do you wanna guess why the
0: four cyanide bombs didn't kill 100,000 people?
1: The detonators didn't work. That's what I'm trying to say. The detonators didn't work. And That's absolutely correct.
0: The detonators did not work. Finally, so the they teenage... They need to stop di- shopping
1: at that detonator store. Dude, for real, right? Finally, Fool the teenage... Fool me once. Dic- shame on me. <laughs> Fool me twice. You ain't... Just ain't never gonna get fooled again.
0: Finally, the teenage dictator of the Omshin and Riccio cult was captured and the cult disbanded, more or less. 1996 saw Asahara being charged with 27 counts of murder in 13 separate indictments. He initially ranted and raved like a lunatic, saying a miracle would save him during the court trial. The trial took roughly eight years
1: to finish. Can you imagine, like, at that point in your life, after sort of conceptually ascending to godhood and having all of this feedback loop of validation that you have these people who see you as a god and have carried out all these horrible acts in your name and you know you, your your prophecies have come to pass because you've just literally made them happen but in, in your twisted pretzel justification of things you've belie- you've grown to believe that you that they did come to pass that you, you know the prophecies were fulfilled and that that was always going to happen and you know you you didn't will it into existence by doing it. It just was a prophecy that did come to pass. And to get to this stage in your life where you're arrested and you're put on trial and that final death throw of like thinking that you've gone so far deep down this rabbit hole that you genuinely do think that like some miracle is going to save you from the firing squad at this point. And having that final like, Shudder of like I am a god. I am a fucking god. I will be raised from perdition and taken away from this once again. I just I come back to like wanting to see the look on his face when he realized that it wasn't going to happen. I, I'd be very fascinated to see that moment.
0: Well, ultimately, I don't know that there was that moment for him because it was just like a weird slow slide. Of of yeah, we'll we'll see. We're about to we're about to talk about it. We're about to talk about it. The prosecution attempted to convince the jury that the Matsumoto incident and the Sakamoto family murder were also done by the Aum cult, which we know they were, but they were attempting to prove that it was all connected. Ultimately, Asahara was found guilty of 13 of the eventual 17 charges. On February 27, 2004, he was sentenced to death by hanging. The trial was dubbed as the Trial of the Century by Japanese media. Toward the end of his life, he refused to speak or eat or use the restroom unassisted. Using an adult diaper and forcing prison workers to feed him.
1: What a a just petty fucking bratty thing to do. Like a petulant child who's just had their toys taken away from them. They're just like, well, I'm going to shit in my pants and you have to clean it. Like it's just... (laughs) Such a fucking...
0: Yeah, fuck this dude. Yeah. Fuck this dude. For a time, Asahara's two teenage sons took over as a collective guru for the cult, but that was short-lived. The defense attempted to get a ruling overturned by reason of insanity. During much of the trial, Asahara was unresponsive and only really muttered to himself. However, when he was being held in the detention facility... He communicated with his captors and made requests. This convinced the court that he was not speaking out of choice, not mental incapacity. Eventually, his lawyers failed to submit a statement of appeal, which then caused the right to appeal to be foregone. Which is a fancy way of saying either <laughs> his lawyers fucked up and forgot to file the right paperwork, or they so were just,
1: yeah, or they were just like. Come on man, like you're fucked. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. They were just like, "Look, uh, I believe that everyone deserves to be defended and that representation is a human right, but also fuck you, and I'm just going to conveniently forget to file the paperwork." Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That, that that seems real fishy to me. This this specific fuck up though, the like them forgetting to file the the court, you know, the the pa- proper paperwork in the proper way at the proper time was it was actually appealed twice though and went from superior to eventually the supreme court in Japan and ultimately the supreme court in Japan was just like nah you forgot to fucking file the paperwork not our problem
1: also you're a horrible murderer yep
0: asahara was executed by hanging on July 6th 2018 23 years after the sarin gas attack there's a family infighting over what will happen to asahara's ashes currently as of March 2020 they are still being held at the Tokyo Detention Center. One of his daughters wants them because she actually, like, still loves her dad, and so she wants them to just keep them. One of the other daughters, I believe it's the third oldest daughter, um, wants them so that she can just throw it into the ocean. Um, just, just basically just to spite him. And that the youngest daughter, he the one that hated oceans. Yeah. Uh, the The youngest daughter, the one that uh, went to go see him or the, the one that is attempting to get the ashes back actually went to go see him like two or three times a week for decades and he refused to acknowledge her and refused to see her which is just fucking crazy
1: the, it's crazy the legal battles that erupt over the the like remains of these fucking cult leaders like the whole thing where like that, that woman married Charles Manson and then it turned out that like she literally did it because she wanted to have his body. Yeah. Well, After he yeah. died and there was like a legal battle over it where she was trying to get custody of his body.
0: Yep. Um. The, the, the weirdest part about all this, too, is that it the cult is still around. In 2019, a man attempted to run over pedestrians when arrested after injuring many people. He said that he'd committed the terrorist attack in order to retaliate for the execution of Asahara and the adjoining cult members. It's unclear if Asahara and the other cult members uh, like knew that this was happening and like they had communicated or something. Um, that's another thing that was not clear in the way that I had phrased that in the script. When Asahara was executed, it wasn't just him, it was nine of his co conspirators and cult members, and they all got hung together in the courtyard of the Tokyo
1: Detention Center in 2004. That, in 2000, in what? In to, it was 2004 when that no, happened. No, they got, they got hung in 2018. Oh, 20. So even crazier. Yeah. Like a couple years ago, they got fucking hung. Yep. Yeah, all nine of them got hung. That two thousand four was just when the, when the charge got passed down. But yes, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, um, which is so unfathomable because it just feels like nineteen ninety five feels like forever ago. When you're talking about this, like imagine the the political landscape of the the world in nineteen ninety five. It's so drastically different than what's happening right now. And like, he's he got killed now. Like he got killed now. And I, I mean, look, I, I'm someone who, I don't really believe in the death penalty. I, don't, I don't think that.
1: I thought you were gonna say you don't believe in the devil, and I was just like, what does that have to do with anything?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't believe. I'm not somebody who believes in the death penalty. I, I understand the emotional need and the emotional reaction to why someone would believe in the death penalty. Yeah, we talked about um, this
1: before on the on a, on a previous episode. Just this idea of yeah. like nobody has the right to decide to end another human being's life in any circumstance.
0: But I also do understand collectively being like, yo, fuck that guy who tried to sarin gas us.
1: (laughs) Yeah. it's, it's, It's like a, it's like a personal emotional truth. Like intellectually, you can say that vigilante justice is, is a, you know, an unbalanced impractical concept that, you know, just cannot be allowed to exist because one person's idea of justice could be killing a freed pedophile and one person's idea of justice is like killing uh somebody of another race because they just don't think that they're good um and 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 the idea that uh you know feeling the you know that what we just said that that uh, you know the uh, the idea that uh, any one human being has the authority to take another human being's life um, is just a very ethically murky and problematic concept. But no matter how how much you say that, if somebody murdered your child or something like that, like there's no way that you're not fucking going to want to kill them or would certainly feel very in some kind of, perverse way satiated by seeing them killed like you know you you, you, there's no you you can intellectualize it in that way and still feel the other way in that situation nobody nobody can know how you're going to feel if something horrible like that happened to you there's just no way to put yourself in those shoes
0: and ultimately to put a capstone on this long discussion about cults and the efficacy of uh, uh, the death penalty. Believe it or not, Rikyo is still around today. They operate today as a cult named uh, Aleph or A L Aleph A L E P H. Yeah, it's like they, it's like
1: when Chuck E. Cheese re rebooted and they they had like the the cooler like skateboard Chuck E. Cheese and you know he was like kind of like that kind of he plays a guitar and he's like like a like a rocker skater guy. It's like that.
0: Uh, yeah, and. To this day, uh the the, the current iteration of Amshin Rikyo Elf, they um various sects of them still believe in the teachings of Shoko Asahara. They still believe that he was a deity, they still believe in his teachings about, you know, kind of spiritual oneness and you know, this kind of concoction of Judeo-Christian and Eastern religions all kind of blended together. Um and currently, uh, it's thought that there are roughly about thirty thousand Russians that are still involved in in the cult, um, and all over Eastern Europe there are little pockets here and there. Um, it's 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 basically just still active. It's it's no longer obviously the far-reaching conspiratorial, you know, largely bigoted, uh, anti-Semitic war machine, but. It still exists, and these motherfuckers are still just like, "What's up?" Shoko Asahara was dope, even though we fucking gassed people. Well,
1: it's really, it's really, it's really interesting and crazy how sometimes people can rationalize, um, almost in the way that we talk about separating the art from the artist with musicians and actors and directors and things like that. People will, um, consciously and intellectually, separate the problematic figure from the teaching and the organization built around their teachings in that way. And I I talked about Joseph Smith earlier, um, the other secret lead singer of The Cure. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, there there are a lot. So, you know, essentially like, you know, Mormonism is like one of the youngest religions. So unlike most other religions, we actually have recorded history of the origins of it. Like we know what we know how it was formed we know all of these stories about the all of everything surrounding the inception of the religion and its growth um unlike any other religion where it's it's so separated by history that all the details are blurred and they've been sort of changed over time and uh but but you know we 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 know all these things that happened because they didn't happen that long ago um and uh you know it's just it's just a fact that we know um, that Joseph Smith was a scam artist and that he you know he the, we we know all these specific f- stories around a lot of the details of mormonism like for instance the fact that uh uh you know just just to cherry pick a few interesting details that are 100% true the reason why mormons can't drink caffeine and can't smoke and uh can't um like well yeah, yeah drink ca- can't they can't drink coffee they can't drink soda with caffeine in it um they can't chew gum the reason for these things is because in the early days of of mormonism when they all kind of lived on this on this in this village together this compound or whatever um they would have meetings the the sort of elders of the of the religion would have meetings at joseph smith's house And his wife got tired of cleaning up after everybody. She hated how after the meeting she would have to clean up all of the empty coffee cups and do all the dishes and clean the chewing gum that was stuck underneath the tables and empty out the ashtrays and things like that. And she was like getting really annoyed by it. And so Joseph Smith went off and had a a meeting with God. He, He had a vision, which is, the way that um the way that things are communicated to the Mormon elder is that he goes off and has a one-on-one conversation privately with with God and he ca- he passes down the the um the these these um uh, uh visions of the way that things should be and that's how all the rules change and that's you know in the 70s the the head of the Mormon church went and had a private meeting with God and God was like, maybe black people are okay. And that's how they integrated black people into their religion. Because before that, Mormons believed that black people were a cursed race and the color of their skin denoted the level of curse that they had. And so the darker you were, the more cursed you were. And the purest, least cursed person is a white person. And then in the 70s, they were like, maybe I don't think that anymore. Go tell everybody. Um, uh, because they were scared of the shifting tides of civil rights and they just didn't want to be sort of left in the dust. Um, but the but he had one of these visions and he came out and he was like, uh, God says that it's bad to drink coffee and chew gum and we can't do it anymore. And he was literally just trying to Stop his wife from nagging him. That's literally why those things exist. And to this day, people don't drink coffee and they don't chew gum because of that. And the thing, the interesting thing about that is that that's not just a piece of belief held by Mormon critics or atheists or whatever. Mormons know that. And yet they still do it. And they have this weird rationalization where they're like, yes, Joseph Smith was a problematic guy. He kind of ended up being just sort of a scam artist. He wasn't the Messiah that he made himself out to be. A lot of these rules that we follow are kind of just things he made up. But he was serving as a conduit for this, for God's word. And just because he himself was a flawed person that wasn't actually living, you know, by the tenets that he set forth. And a lot of the things that he said were lies. God was still speaking through him and using him as an avatar. And that's sort of how they rationalize it.
0: It's just, I, it's, it's so fascinating how those kind of like tide pools or eddies echo out from generation to generation and how, how that almost kind of like shared trauma You know, where it just kind of passes from person to person, generation to generation, just these little inconsequential decisions that you make during your lifetime, if you make them at the right or the wrong time will affect just astronomical numbers of people outside of your immediate orbit. You know what I mean? It's so it's so interesting. And 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 uh, and, and, you know, you're talking about somebody just being like, eh, maybe don't drink coffee. Like this is imagine the the, the cultural ramifications because obviously neither of us are Japanese. And this, you know, Amshin cult holds a very different cultural weight over there than it does over here. And like pop culture wise, Americans are not acquainted with Shoko Asahara or uh, Amshin And look at the effect that Charles Manson has had on our culture. I mean, that shit was, like, fucking a couple days. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, am, I would be very curious to hear or learn more about, like, the, the tangible cultural ramifications of Aumshin and and how it impacted pop culture. And yeah, like,
1: the, the, like, several months where they're, the fucking country went insane and it yeah. was chaos in the streets, like, daily.
0: And, and, it you know, Chaos in the Streets in 1995. Yeah. Like, that's that's so outside of my conception of reality, you know? It'd be one thing if it was, like, during the Second World War, there were all these other attacks that were happening, and this is blah, 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 because you emotionally are like, oh, yeah, during that time period, the world was on fire. Mm-hmm. But like 1995 doesn't feel like a particularly, you know, a wild upheaval. We were happening. we were
1: a year away from Space Jam,
0: one year away from Space Jam, but an eternity away from I got nothing
1: to that you, joke. I was like, you I got almost nothing. you almost landed the spruce goose. Yep. But and, I didn't. And, and the, but you crashed. And now you got to fucking wear a mustache for the rest of your life to hide the scarring on your face. This has been Deep Cuts. I'm Dave Baker. <laughs> and I'm Andrew Price. Uh, if you'd like to find more of my
0: comics and uh, wares and whatnot, you can find them online at heydavebaker.com or if you want to watch me draw, do this dumb shit, find that shit at xdavebakerx on Twitter and Instagram. And also you should like the Facebook page for Deep Cuts. Uh, we make lots of cool videos and reactions and uh filmic content and whatnot. Uh Andrew, where can people find you on the internet?
1: You can find me hiding in a wall, waiting for my entire life to collapse around me, waiting for the the light to stab into the darkness as the opening creaks open and my destiny is staring back at me through the barrel of a shotgun. And um you can uh, f- also find me at dapricerights.com, where you can buy my comic, uh, Deadbolt, AI Private Eye. And yes, definitely follow us on Facebook, uh, Deep Cuts Podcast. see some cool videos we make. There are like mini versions of this podcast with accompanying visuals. Uh, sometimes we got our, our pal, Hillsmer, on on deck. Uh, Good guy. And you can join our, our, our Facebook group, uh, the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group where we uh, have a lot of cool discussions with listeners about episodes.